All right, well, uh, again, hopefully uh, your first week of summer was a really good one. Uh, it was great for, for me and my family. We, again, we went up to New Hampshire and had a good time up there. Uh, but when I think about summer, I think about camping. Anybody? You campers? You like to camp? And uh, so, yeah, a few years back, my family, we went on this extreme excursion to camp in the urban wild of West Roxbury in our backyard. And uh, it, was, it was great. Well, I say my family. My wife is so not into that. But me and my, my children in a tent in the backyard. And uh, I remember laying there. And you know how it is as a parent. You go on these camping trips and your kids fall right to sleep. And you just stay there all night long just looking at the tent. And it's very uncomfortable. And so that was happening. And then I remember it was about 2 or 3 in the morning. And uh, I get this whiff. And it was skunks. And several of them. And I could hear them scurrying around my tent. And I remember I just laid as stiff as I possibly can just to not, like, excite them and get them. And fortunately, we were protected by this tent. But the kids were sound asleep. And I just remember it just felt like an eternity just hearing them kind of trying to scurry and find some some leftover s'mores or something, whatever. I don't know what skunks do in the night. But uh, they they were going to town. But for me, my most memorable camping experience was, I think it was like nine or ten years old, birthday party camping trip in my backyard uh, growing up. And so super fun. We did all the stuff that you got to do as a kid when you're camping. We played uh, what we called manhunt, which is just hide-and-go-seek in the dark. And uh, we had a fire going, and uh, we, you know, we made s'mores. We did the hot dogs over the fire. And then it, it came time to kind of settle down, and we gathered around the fire pit, and we told scary stories because that's what guys do. And so we told scary stories. And and basically, this was for me just a good sign that I was going to be a preacher someday because I was just ready to tell stories and was working on my my storytelling ability. And uh, so basically, I'll I'll share with you my tactic. My tactic really is just just kind of rope them in. Just say a bunch of nothing about nothing. You know, just rope them in. And so, you know, a long time ago, there was this this, this family, and they were driving down this windy road, and we'll say Tennessee, and, and they're driving through the, the woods of Tennessee, and their car broke down, and on the side of the road, their car was sat there, and, and they, had, they, had, they had no cell phone, because there weren't cell phones back then, and going on, just telling the story, and then you get really soft and slow, and you lean forward, and then, rah, you just scare them, and it doesn't matter what you said before, you just get quiet, soft, slow, and scream at them. And so I pulled that tactic, and it worked pretty good. And I was the man. It was my birthday party. It felt good. But then I had this teenage neighbor, and he was the cool neighbor that all the kids wanted to be like. And his name was Jared. And Jared heard us screaming and doing our thing. And he comes over, and, uh, you know, he was a teenager. He goes, you boys telling scary stories? Yeah? Well, I got a true one for you. (laughs) And so he gathers us together, and he tells us this true story about how in our neighborhood at nighttime— when we're sleeping in our beds, how the dogs break out of their pens and they go wild and they go hunting for people and little 10-year-old boys. And, and I remember we were absolutely freaking out. And we fell asleep and uh, I, I woke up again in the middle of the night, not to skunks, but I, I woke up to dogs howling. And it, that, that really happened and absolutely horrified me as a kid. I was, I I couldn't go back to sleep and I was doing everything in my power to not leave the tent and go sleep in the bed with my mom and dad because this was my birthday party and I had to be, I had to be tough and cool. And so I remember that was just an absolutely horrifying, scary, scary moment. But what I want to look at today is I want to look at an occasion 
where Jesus' disciples, they're with him and they're afraid. I mean, they are, they are really uh, afraid. And do you believe that fear actually serves a purpose in our lives? Like fear actually serves a, a, a purpose and, and it can have a good purpose in our lives. So uh, a healthy fear of heights can keep you, can keep you safe. Uh, my children having a, a healthy fear of the road can keep them from getting flattened. Or having an appropriate fear of, of harming someone can, can keep you from texting while driving. And so there is an, an appropriate kind of fear that we can have. And similarly, there, there, there is such thing as an appropriate fear of God, a healthy fear of God. And in fact, it's massively important for us as followers of Jesus to have that. Uh, Romans chapter 9 verse 10 says that the fear of God or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 1 says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so we, we see that actually repeated several times throughout the scriptures. And so it, it's appropriate to have a, a fear, a healthy fear of the Lord. And so turn with me to Luke chapter 8, and uh, I want to show you a, a, a passage of Scripture that I, I just love this passage for various reasons. I, I think it's going to be really helpful for you. Luke chapter 8. Uh, we've got Bibles on our church app, and so if you've never downloaded that, just go to your app store and just type in Charles River Church, and you've got a Bible there. Uh, we've got a Bible behind me here on the screen, and uh, if you need a Bible at home, we've got Bibles in the baskets around the room, and you can grab one of those and and that's our gift to you. But Romans chapter, or Luke chapter 8, uh, 22 through 24. We're in a, a summer teaching series that we're calling With Jesus. And, and we're, we're looking at these, these moments throughout the New Testament uh, where, where people have these experiences with Jesus. And these moments, these experiences will change the course of their lives. And we're, we're praying that for all of us throughout the course of the summer that we will have these sweet experiences, these sweet moments with Jesus in the summertime. Because summer is, is known as a time of refreshing and, and relaxing. And as we read in the scriptures, one of the most refreshing, relaxing, uh, amazing places to be is in the presence of the Lord. The scripture says, in your presence, God, is fullness of joy. And so that's what we're we're doing this summer is we're looking at, at people who are in the presence of the Lord and it changes their lives. But this one is not initially this sweet, refreshing moment. It's actually kind of scary. And so look at me, Luke chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 22. It says, One day he, that's Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. And as they sailed, he, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling uh, with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Let's stop there for just a moment. Let's, let's kind of recap what's, what's going on here. So Jesus and his, his 12 disciples, they get into a boat and they're going to go across to the other side of this lake. That's the Sea of Galilee or the Lake Gennesaret. And, and they're on their way on this, this journey. And while they're going, this massive windstorm breaks out. And, and to paint the scene appropriately, let me just give you a little bit of, uh, of context. We have to be reminded that at least seven of the 12 disciples of Jesus were professional fishermen. So this is not like my buddy Roy who goes fishing at Jamaica Pond where they, the mayor stocks the pond. Every, these are guys who they're, they're going in the wild and they're doing some serious 
fishing. Uh, this is what they did as a career. So don't think Roy, think lobstermen of Maine, right? That's, that's what these seven guys are, at least seven of them. And so they're very comfortable on the sea. They're, they're used to wild seas. They're, they're a rugged group of men. Uh, they, they could take whatever the sea uh, gave them because when it came at them pretty hard and heavy, they had to feed their families anyhow. So they were used to it. Not a big deal when, when a storm comes. So they wouldn't easily be, be worked up. But this windstorm comes and it's so intense that they just get straight worked up. And, and it tells us that this is a very serious life or death kind of storm. They're, they're taking on water. They're, they're clearly in danger. They have this real sense of we could die out here. The boat is actually sinking. We also see elsewhere in the gospel accounts that the boat is, is breaking apart. Fortunately for these guys, they have a miracle worker in their midst on the boat. That's Jesus. And so in the midst of their panic, they go over to find Jesus on this boat. They could see him across the boat. And and what condition do they find Jesus in? They find Jesus sleeping. I mean, again, this is a very, very intense storm. So much so that the, the boat is about to sink. It's breaking apart. It's taking on water. And somehow Jesus is sleeping. Like that's He's got to be an incredibly sound sleeper, right? Or something's up. Like my son Luca is unbelievable in the morning when it comes to sleep. Like he's just a dead corpse. We'll have to start putting clothes on him and he's lifeless flopping around on the bed to try to get him out the door in time for for school. And and usually people kind of make light of the fact that Jesus is sleeping through this storm. That's unbelievable. He must have been an extremely heavy sleeper. But let's be real. These are, are small fishing boats, uncovered fishing boats, and, and he's sound asleep? There's a couple of options here. Option number one is he is an impossibly sound sleeper. Or option number two, he's aware of the storm, and he's just kind of drifting in and out of sleep, but it's like, eh, no big deal, and he keeps going back and forth to sleep. Kind of like a parent at 3 a.m., when your child wakes up and your child is crying and you're like, yeah, okay. You know, anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Just say preach. We can stop right there, do an invitation, go home. I need Jesus. But, but that's, that's real, right? But if, if a window breaks in the middle of the night, parents, you jump out of bed, you're freaking out, you're trying to protect the kiddos, right? But if the kiddo wakes up and cries, eh. That, that's option number two is that Jesus was aware of the storm, but he's, 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 just kind of going back to sleep. And, and they wake him up. Jesus, do you not care? Do, do you not care that we are, are, are perishing? I, I like how Mark's account of the story, uh, Mark also writes on the life and, and ministry of Jesus. And his account of the story, he, he says that the disciples ask him, Master, do you not care that we are, are perishing? And, and that's one of those questions that's not actually a question. You ever get those sometimes? It's a question, but it's not actually a question like, like when I'll be, uh, you know, hanging out with my, uh, my wife, getting ready to go somewhere, and then she'll say, are you going to wear that? And I say, is that a question? <laughs> or is that a, don't wear that. <laughs> you look like a goon. And that's, that's what wives are good for. And so um, that's, what, that's what they're doing with Jesus. They're saying, Master, do you not care? What they're actually saying is, Master, why don't you care? You don't care. It seems as though you don't care that we're dying here. And, and now this is where it actually gets kind of real for, for every single one of us. This is where it kind of transitions from a Bible story that maybe you grew up hearing or reading in children's books 
to actually something that's very real to, to our, our lives, right? We, we read stories all the time uh, in the gospel accounts of, of the disciples of Jesus. And so often as we read these stories uh, about them and their interactions with Jesus, we, we kind of force to say like, really guys? I mean, come on. Seriously, I mean, these guys do, some of the things they say are just completely goofy. Uh, Some of the things they argue about are just, why are you arguing about this when you're standing in front of of God? Some of the ways that they question Jesus about his plans are just goofy. And so I, I, sometimes I'm like, really guys? But in this particular situation, I'm not doing that. In this particular situation, I'm saying, I would be saying the same thing. Like, Jesus, we are dying here and you're sleeping. Do, Do you not care? And I think we've all kind of experienced this in our own lives in various ways, haven't we? Moments where it feels like I'm drowning. Moments where it feels like the, the waves are crashing in, they're, they're beating on me, I feel like I'm getting beat up, the, the boat is being busted apart, and it feels like God doesn't care. Or it feels like God's just completely oblivious to my situation. Or it feels like God is nowhere to be found. And again, this is where it gets real for you. And it gets, certainly gets real for me because I've been there. Maybe for you it's when it comes to your finances. Like, God, do you see the, the kind of struggle? Do you want me to struggle like this? Are you ignoring the fact that I'm struggling like this? It's like expense after expense after expense after expense. For us, it was like the past two weeks have just been bill after bill after car accident after just crazy 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 my tooth chipped i'm like are you serious my insurance doesn't cover a crown like it was unbelievable right like do you see this guy we don't have this kind of money like, or or maybe it's your health some of you you just health issue after health issue after health issue after health issue and you're just like god like why is why is it on or maybe it's your career you just can't ever get this thing off the ground, or, or, or every time you think you're going somewhere, you're actually taking a couple steps backwards, or, or maybe it's parenting. It's a tough job, and, and sometimes it just feels like my, I, I'm trying everything I can, and I'm not succeeding in parenting, and God, you said that you would give me what I need for life and godliness. Well, parenting is a part of life, and I'm struggling here, and I don't know where you're at. I don't know how it applies to you, but whatever your situation is, I'm sure that we've all at some point had this struggle with feeling like, God, do you not care? Do you, not, do you not see what's, what's going on? I'm being beat down, and it feels like you're asleep. So consider this. Could it be not that he doesn't care, but that he's not alarmed? Could it, could it be not that he isn't present, but that he is present, but he's completely calm, in the midst of your chaos. He's in control in the midst of your calamity. Like Jesus yawns at your challenges. And I don't mean that in any kind of way to minimize your challenges. I don't, I don't mean that, that, that Jesus is, is looking at your struggles and saying, eh, I don't care. No, he, he, by, by saying he, he yawns at your challenge, what I mean is he's not threatened. He doesn't look at your life and your challenges and say, I've never faced that one before. Like, what are we going to do here? Trinity, huddle, bring it in. Like, this is a mess. He he yawns at your challenges. Your challenges are not a challenge for him. He's got this. Whatever situation is coming to your mind right now, whatever struggle is is, is being battled in the depths of your, your soul right now, 
He's not alarmed. He, he, he's got this. And I'm praying that, that the scripture this morning would be just like ointment on a wound. And it would just be helpful for you just to hear and to know that he's got this. Like whatever it is you're in, he's got this. And more importantly, he's got you in the midst of this. In fact, if you're a note taker, I'll keep it real simple this morning. Two things. First one is, he's got you. Maybe you just need to write that down to solidify that. Like you're in class and you're learning and you've got to write stuff down to solidify it. He's got you. He's got you. What, what does he do? Look, let's keep going. Verse 24, and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging seas and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where, where's your faith? And they were, give me that word. They were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? So, so why wasn't Jesus alarmed by the storm? Well, we see in the second half of 24, he's not alarmed by the storm because he's completely sovereign over the storm. He, he just stands up and he simply speaks. He rebukes the raging storm. He rebukes the sea and they listen. And have you ever experienced a raging sea before? I don't know if some of you, maybe you've experienced the, the raging sea before or just the power of water in general. Last weekend, I told you we were up in New Hampshire with my family kind of doing this family camp thing and they said, hey, bring the kids along. And so uh, my wife and the kids came along and we got to have some time on the lake and uh, my boys were brave enough to go out on the lake and they kind of took it easy uh, doing the tubing with the boat and dragging the kids along. And then they were like, Josh, you want to go? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so they let me go and then uh, I used my oldest son as a buffer. I'm like, Isaiah, why don't you come with me? Knowing that they'll kind of take it easy on me if I have my son there. And so uh, me and my son are on this tube together. And uh, I guess she just didn't get the hint. And so the, the lady driving the boat just was completely just, just letting loose on the lake. And we're just taking, you know, when you get outside the wake and you're kind of rounding, you just think you're going to die. And so I look at her and I go, like, slow down. My son needs you to slow down, but really it was just me. <laughs> I'm like you to slow down and so she slows down but I just had this image in my head of like our two little bodies just kind of skipping across this lake like little skipping stones and I was just it was it was it was pretty scary and it's just the power of the the water I've been whitewater rafting a number of times up in Maine on the Kennebec River and if you've ever fallen out of the boat in class four or five rapids, it is nuts. I mean, there's nothing that you can do. You just lay back, you put your feet forward so that your feet get broken on rocks instead of your head, and you just go. It's kind of like dropping a, a twig in raging water. It just, that's your body. And so in, in that day, in that culture, even if you didn't believe in, 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 in Yahweh God, in, in that day, in that culture, uh, they, they saw the sea as the most untamable thing out there. And so they, they looked at the sea as if, hey, no one can, can, can tame it. No one can calm the sea. And if you could, regardless of your culture, you're back. if you could, you were, you were, you were God. You, you had to be God. And so when Jesus does this, he is asserting his divinity. He is saying, yes, I am God. And he calms these raging seas that were killing the lobstermen 
of Maine. He simply does it by speaking, just like we see at creation. He speaks things into existence, and then the powerful creation is made. Here, he speaks to natural elements, and they cease. Everything that you see is under the sovereign control of God. Nothing, no situation, nothing is out of his hands and and too far for him to, to exercise his power over. Everything that happens, happens either by him declaring it or by him at the very least allowing things to happen. And so this is happening, this storm is happening so that he could then calm the storm and display his power and do a deep work in the hearts of these disciples. So what we need to hear is that this all-powerful God, he's got you. If you trust him, if you place faith in him, if you follow him, he's got you and he's saying to you, you've got to trust me. You've absolutely, you've got to, to trust me. How does he respond to the disciples? They, they flip out, they, they wake him up, do you not care? And he says, guys, where is your faith? You've seen these miracles. You've read the prophecies that I am now fulfilling. You've got to trust me. I'm, I, I'm here, I'm in con- control. And my question for all of us is, do we trust him in the situations that we find ourselves in currently? Do, do we trust him? Are we trying to take matters into our, our own hands? Whatever situation you're in is no match for the power of God. And he didn't immediately jump up to calm it, but he could calm it, and he did calm it as we saw. So when God doesn't immediately calm the storms in your life and the things that you're, you're facing, when he doesn't immediately do that, you can trust him, and you can know that he's doing something deep within your, your heart. Or maybe he's waiting for you to drop the bucket of emptying the water out of the boat and just say, I'm going to stop trying and I'm going to let you take over, God. Maybe that's what he's doing in in your life. And so, hand it over to the Lord. Now, look at the reaction of the disciples. Verse 25, and they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. The book of Mark also adds that they were filled with great fear. Here it says they were afraid and they marveled. And you've probably grown up, some of you, if you've been around the church for a while, reading the children's Bibles, and, and you see Jesus calms the storm, and then you turn the page, and they're floating on the water, and they're all happy, and, and there's a rainbow or something, and the sun's up, and the birds are flying, and they're just smiling like, wow, that was amazing, Jesus. But that's not what happens, is it? What, what happens is their, their fear doesn't go down. They were afraid, and then it goes down. No, their fear goes up. They were afraid, and they were even more afraid after Jesus calms the storm because this time it's, wait a second. What did he just do? Who is it that we're hanging out with? I mean, this is not the the comfortable, casual Jesus that our culture likes to make out, right? Jesus is my homeboy, or he's the big man in the sky. That's not who we're talking about here. This is... We have to have a sense of whose presence we are in. Who is this? This is the all-powerful God of creation. And so if you're a note-taker, number one is he's got you. But number two is do you get him? Do, do you get him? Do, do you understand even just 
in the slightest bit, the, the power of God that we sing about here every single week, the power of God that we read about and we turn the page. And we read about it again and we turn the page and we just kind of gloss over it. But do you, do you get him? Do you understand the all-powerful God of the scriptures that we, we read about? One, one major problem in, in American evangelicalism is, is what I call evangelical pragmatism. It's just where we read the Bible and we say, okay, so tell me what I must do right now. If I can read this and I can get out of that three steps to peace or, 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 or five uh, steps to a, a stronger marriage or, uh, you know, four points for a better personal budget. I mean, that's kind of how we read the Bible. And you do get some of that from time to time. And we'll even do that in here. But, but a lot of times we, that's all we're looking for in the Bible is tell me what to do and then do this and then do this and do this. And, and sometimes stories in the scripture are just there for you to say, okay, that's God. That's the one I'm following. That's the one who is sovereign over my life. That's the one who's in control. Sometimes stories in Scripture are there just for you to get him. Just to get a taste of, of who it is that we, we worship. Just to heighten your worship. Just to, to, to give you a, a prayer life of humility of God. I can't even believe that I can even talk to you right now. Because of what Jesus has done as my mediator between God and man. Sometimes it's just there for you just to get a taste of, of who you're dealing with here. And, and there's a big, big part of this for us just to say, okay, that's God. He's, he's powerful. And yes, we can sing songs about how he calms my raging sea. And he calls me to step out on the wall. We can sing those songs. But it's, it's not just that. It's just get, a, get an understanding of who God is, that he is all-powerful, that these guys, when he performed this miracle, they were afraid, and they marveled at him. It's kind of this, I can't, wow, this is unbelievable, who, who I'm dealing with here. And the greater goal, I think, is for, for Jesus to teach them something about himself, and which is so important for us to, to get there in our own hearts, is to have a real sense of the power of God. And to not take him, him lightly, to not take his commands lightly, to not take his grace that is given to us lightly. Because when you see how powerful he is, and how sinful we are, and how majestic he is, and how wretched we can be, and compared to his infinite holiness, when you see his grace that he would become one of us and he would die one of the most brutal deaths ever invented on our behalf, that should cause us to marvel at the grace of God. It should blow our minds. And then to be mindful of the fact that then the Bible tells us for those of us who follow him that that power is now within us. And is made available to us. That that power is for us. Not that we can just wave a wand and say, let's do this or that. But, 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 but that power is in control of our lives. And nothing is beyond his reach. Nothing is beyond his power. Romans chapter 8, 31. If, if God is for us, what does it say? Who should be against us? We don't have to be fearful of anything or anyone but God himself. You read through the scriptures and you, you see this, this struggle in people. And I see it in my life every single day between the fear of God and the fear of man. That we're not to fear man. We're to fear God, but not man. 
God, not man, God. Fear God, fear God, fear God. Reverence for God, awe for God. We hold that fear of God then in balance with his love for us. And it transforms the relationship that we have with God. And when you have an appropriate understanding of the power and the majesty and the glory of God, and you hold that in, in, in reverence and in awe and holy, appropriate fear, it changes the way you interact with Him. It changes the way you receive His grace. It, it changes even the way you walk and the way you talk. You can walk taller. You can live bolder. You can take bigger risks because you know that God, that powerful God is, is on my side. He's for me. And if He's for me, and it's within his will, who's against me? What can, what can stop me? But the disciples, they were afraid at first. But as we read forward into the story of these disciples, that fear turns into a very amazing sense of, I'm going to struggle, I'm going to fail, and he's still going to love me. He's not going to zap me. He's going to love me. He's not going to hurt me. He loves me. He cares for me. And then he puts that power within me. And I just, one of the best transformation stories we talked about a couple weeks ago is Peter and his journey. And how he just takes off when God the Holy Spirit indwells him and comes up inside of him. And so, man, I want you to just see the fear of God, the power of God, and also bask in that's made available to you. And what we've been doing through this series is, and we're going to do this all summer long, is we just want to give you various tools that come out of these experiences that we read about in, in the scriptures uh, to help you to have a more meaningful time with Jesus throughout the summer. And so let me just give you this week's tool. Uh, this week's tool is, is simple but profound. This week's tool to help you have a more meaningful, rich experience with Jesus through our summer is nature. It's nature. Just like those disciples, they're, they're in the midst of this, this natural disaster, this amazing storm, and then they see the power of God that he can calm that storm. It changes their lives. And it changes how they, how they relate with God when you know that God is in control of, of natural elements. Listen to Psalm chapter 19. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And so this says that the heavens, the, the skies, point to God's glory, point to God's power, point to God's creativity, his, his skill in making that. And every single day, as the sun comes up, as you walk through the woods, as you, you climb a mountain, as you drive by the Arboretum, whatever it is, every single day, creation is pouring forth speech, reminding you, God is powerful. God is in control. God made all this. And it's so easy in the hustle and the bustle of a city to not see that and to not have those reminders in front of us, but it's, it's there. And, and so throughout the course of our, our summer, I, I, just, I pray that you'll take advantage of the opportunities that we get through the summer to be in and around nature and be reminded of the, the speech that is being poured forth, the, the proclamation of the power and the majesty and the creativity of God so that this summer, here's your exercises, here's your tool, is, is take advantage of nature. So when you go to the beach, don't just go to the beach and say, ah, this feels nice. But say, ah, God is good. As you hear the waves crashing against the shore, 
or the rocks. See, oh wow, God is powerful. When you go uh, to the Arboretum and then you, you enjoy the flowers and you enjoy the nature and you get your, your space in the midst of the hustle and bustle of the city, that you, you prayerfully remember, God made this. You enjoy your walks in the woods and, and you be reminded of the power and the majesty of, of God. When you sit on your deck in the morning or in the evening, you watch the sunrise or the sunset that you, you think on the God who painted the skies. That every single day, every single painting in the skies with the clouds, the peach and the purples and the, the pinks, that, that's God saying, I'm, I'm trying to show you I'm amazing. I'm trying to show you that I love you. I, I'm in control. This is, this is God. And so your tool, your tool this week, and hopefully through the summer as we have more opportunity to enjoy it in the summer, is to just allow nature to point you to God. Now, I want to be clear, no one's ever given their lives to Jesus because they looked at the sky and said, Jesus died for me. That's what we call general revelation. Then theologians call what what the Bible is a specific revelation that God specifically now tells you. Hopefully the sky will point people who don't know Jesus to to see this is not a coincidence. This is amazing. There's a God. And then they get the chance to search a little deeper and they get to hear the specific truth of the gospel of Jesus in the Bible. But man, there is, there, I think what can happen is us theologian types can say, don't, don't, that's, that's weird, that's, that's like new agey, don't, don't mess with nature. Just go right to the Bible. And I'd say, no, no, yes, you need the Bible, but you also need to enjoy what God has given you. And the, the scriptures are so clear that this is an important. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the, the most heady theological type in our, in our Bible. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You hear that? Mr. Bible teacher there said that, that, that the power of God the, the, the divine nature, the divinity of God is seen ever since the creation of the world. Even before there was a, a quill or a pen that, that, that wrote scripture has been seen through what has been made. And so let's use nature. Because that's what God has done is he's designed it to, to wow us, to, to point us to him. Let, let's use the creation that God has given us to allow us to be with him to be with Jesus in, in, in deep, in meaningful ways. For me, I got a couple of, I remember when I was in, I think I was 20 or 21 years old, and I had some massive decisions to make. Like, am I going to ask this girl to, to marry me? Where am I going to live? I had a couple of ministry opportunities right out of college, and what am I going to do? And, and, and I, remember, I remember going into the woods, and just I took a whole day in the woods. I had, all I had was my Bible, a notebook and a pen, and a folding chair. And I went in the woods. No food. I was just going to be in the woods and just be with God. And it was powerful for me. And the kind of stuff that God did in my heart and, and that, that day. And then I started making it a tradition. Was doing it every year. And it just was unbelievable. I, I have this place on, on Route 202 in western Massachusetts overlooking the Quabbin Reservoir. Uh, which, which feeds all of our, gives us water here in Boston and way out there in the middle of nowhere. And there's this overlook that I go, and I've just had times of just weeping and just pouring out my heart to God and confessing sin and, and God, I need you. And God, I'm desperate for you. Just amazing, just 
looking at the lake, looking at the reservoir, and just seeing God's creation. It's been powerful for me. And I'm just, I'm praying and believing that God's going to do that in your heart this summer, that a trip to the beach won't just be a trip to the beach. That a, 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 an evening on the deck won't just be an evening on the deck. That a walk in the woods won't just be a walk in the woods. That it'll be a time where you get to meet with God. Or a time where with children or friends you get to speak about. You ever wondered about, is that a coincidence? And it leads you to, to opportunities to, to share the reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. That's my prayer for us coming out of this sermon is that you would be you would be moved by the power of God and know that he is sovereign over your situation. That you practically would then take the creation that he has given us to wow us, just like he allowed the storm to wow the disciples, to allow them to see his power and his control. That's my prayer for all of us. I do want to point out one final thing. If you go on through Luke chapter 8, you see another situation where the power of God is on display. But in this particular town, on the other side of the sea, where Jesus displays his power, instead of marveling at the power of God, they say, Jesus, you got to leave. you got to get out of our town. We don't like your power. So the question for all of us is, what are we going to do with the power of God? Are we going to marvel and allow it to lead us to worship? Or are we going to say, Jesus, you got to leave? I don't like an all-powerful God. I don't like a God who's sovereign over my life. I don't like a God who can control my future. I don't like that. And you can see that in the hearts of people, one or the other. He's in control, and I like it. He's in control, and I hate it. What are we going to do with the power of God? Would you guys close your eyes as we take a moment to respond? I just want to give you the opportunity now just to think about what, are, what am I going to do with the power of God? Am I going to say, Jesus, you got to go? Or am I going to be blown away and say, are you kidding me? That power, that otherliness, then humbles himself and becomes a man lives the life I could never live, sinless and perfect, dies an awful death on a cross to pay the price for my sin. Out of his love for me. And then fall to my knees and say, I need you, I trust you, I want you. Forgive me for living my life independent of you. Help me to live a life that follows you. Those are your options. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, my prayer is that you would give your life to Jesus. My prayer is that in this moment, as we pray, as we respond in song, that that God would do something deep in your heart and you would say yes to Jesus. That you would transition from the culture of being offended at an all-powerful God to being amazed and marveling at an all-powerful God. And then a simple prayer in the best way you know how, you just simply call upon the name of the Lord.
and say, I trust you. I turn from my sin. I receive your death on that cross as the payment for my sins. I trust in what you've done. I trust that you came back to life displaying your power over sin and death. And I want to follow you as my king. And so God, I commit my friends to you. I pray that you would do your work in their hearts wherever they're at, whatever's going on. You meet them where they're at. For those who need to give their lives to Jesus right now, would they call upon your name and be saved from sin, from separation, from the powerful God and be brought into that beautiful relationship that you offer to them. For the Christians in this room who they need to have their focus redirected back to the power of God for them. God, I pray that you would encourage their hearts. May they know you're sovereign over it all. For our city, may they not be so offended by the gospel of Jesus. That there's one God who says there's one way rather than being offended, be amazed that one God made one way that was so clear Jesus says, I am the way. We pray for our city. May they see it. May they know it. May the spiritual tide turn in this city again. We love you. We thank you for who you are. All powerful God. And as we sing and as we respond, would you be honored. May we connect with you in light of your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.